So last week we were in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We looked at verses 1 through 18. Today is going to be a continuation of that. It looks at the final verses of that chapter. Uh, you will notice it's a little bit repetitive. I will just say that. The Hebrews had some issues, okay? And so they had to constantly be reminded to persevere to the end of their faith. I feel like it's an important passage for us to look at because it does kind of show us some different things than the previous one that we had that um, was like, hey, let's, let's finish this thing out. But uh, there may be a little bit of redundance, and so if there is, forgive me for that. But we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 31. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible app or your Bible, I also did uh, create an event, so that is in there as well if you want to look up that event. Last week, we talked about how Christ's perfect once and for all sacrifice secured our sanctification, right? It made us right with God again. It took us from merely coexisting with God to being able to have an actual relationship with God. And that was secured for us through Jesus' forever gift. Well, this week is kind of like the next steps, right? It's like Jesus did this for us. Now what? Now what? What do we do now? And so... The next steps are this. It's a call to confidence. That's what verses 19 through 31 is. It's a call for us to be confident in what Jesus has secured for us, for us to be confident in our faith, for us to persevere through the end. That's really what is taking place here in this rest of this chapter. And so we are going to be confident in what Jesus has secured for us. And that's the perseverance of our souls, our eternity. And we need to be confident in that because that gives us power, that gives us the ability to live a life that is focused on the end goal. And we're going to talk all about that today. So if you go in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23, or what I'm going to read first, and this is what they have to say. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by which the blood, the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I read two verses extra, my fault, but we'll get there anyways. So here's the thing. The first thing we need to understand is that Christ's blood secures our confidence. Christ's blood secures our confidence. These first five verses, 19 through 23, they're a direct reference to Leviticus 16. Now, Leviticus 16 talks about the priest-temple relationship. Okay, so this is how it worked for the ancient Hebrew people. Once a year, they had a day of atonement. And on that one day, the priest would enter the place called the Holy of Holies, also seen in the Bible as the holy place. And so once a year, he would enter this place. And once he got into this place, the Holy of Holies, there was a throne where God would come and meet with the priest. But because of the sin in his life, they couldn't be connected, right? There couldn't be that complete one-on-one. And so there was a veil between them. And so once a year, the priest would come. He would meet with God. He would get God's instructions. He would offer sacrifice to God for the sins of the people. And he would try to correct that relationship that... Uh, throughout the year, it probably got worse and a little more dirty and a little more awkward, and, and he, he restored things to the right place again. This was the old system, and it followed, uh, the church followed that all the way up until Jesus changed everything. In Matthew twenty-seven fifty through 51, it tells us, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain was torn 
from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And in this very moment, Christ's blood removed the barrier that was between us and God. So that veil is gone. Now we can be in relationship with God again. Verse 22 tells us, it says, Let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the thing, you are clean in the presence of God. Christ secured that for you. You are clean in the presence of God. Have you ever been somewhere where you just weren't comfortable? Like you didn't quite feel like you fit in? You know, maybe you were in a crowd that was kind of uppity. (laughs) And you're not that way? Like, I've been there. I've been in places where I'm not real comfortable. I don't really fit in here. This isn't really my crowd. It's not my group of people. You know, you always get this picture in your head of, like, the country club. The country club is, like, really nice. And, like, there's a dress code. And if you're a member, you don't get to go in. And it's like Jesus secured our membership for us, invited us into the country club, and then showed up in overalls without a shirt on underneath. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way to not be comfortable with Jesus because he's saying, look, dude, we're all here. It's great. And so God made that happen for us. Remember last week, we did talk about how coexistence is gone and relationship is here. Christ secured that. He secured the one-on-one. Right? That's why we don't believe that you have to, like, confess your sins to, like, your high priest. Because you can go straight to God and confess your sins yourself. You can have that relationship. You can have that discussion. You can talk to him. And before that wasn't the way. People didn't have a relationship with God. They took all of their instruction through the priest, which is a real problem for the church because sometimes you got priests that were corrupt (laughs) and they were telling you to do the wrong things, things that were benefiting them and not things that were benefiting the people, not things that were from God. And I think God saw the, the corruptness in that situation and said, man, I've got to restore this. I mean, that was his goal all along, was to say, I don't like the separation between us. I want to make us whole again. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came. But we can't forget that in all this, this is a call to perseverance. Christ secured your salvation. And he wants you to be confident in that until the very end. Till the very end. We've all seen people who, like, did the prayer at eight years old, right? And they're saved and they're good and I know things and I don't need to go to church. You know what I mean? Like, just, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God wants us to walk every day in the confidence of the gospel delivered to us, to live as heirs to the kingdom of heaven because that's what we truly are. That's what we truly are. And I told you earlier in the series, there's like two ways for us to walk. We can walk around like we're on eggshells, like always afraid to break one. Like, oh, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to upset God. I don't want to muddy the waters. I don't want to mess things up. Or we can walk clear in the confidence that Jesus made a way for us. Came in with a push mop and pushed the eggshells out of the way. He did that for us. And as we walk along in our life, we should walk together. Verses 24 and 25, which I already read, but I'll read again, say, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, it's no coincidence that in a, a passage dedicated to calling us to persevere to the end of our faith, that community and companionship are mentioned. We're not supposed to walk through this alone. In our society today, it's like there's some badge we get if we're just tough as nails and we do everything by ourselves and we don't ask for help and we're independent. And, and that's not a bad thing. Like Independence isn't a bad thing. But when you mark that as the only way that you can live, then it becomes detrimental. Because God didn't intend that to be that way. He didn't intend it to be that way. We are all together in this journey that we call life, right? We all have the same goal. I really think we do. We all have the same goal, and that's to one day hear God say, well done, good and faithful servants, as he opens the gates to heaven and welcomes us in with arms wide open. Like, that's what we all really want. If you don't want that, we can talk about it later, and we'll see what, <laughs> what's going on there. But that's what we all really, truly want. And so because we have that same goal, we can help each other reach that goal. Along the way, we all face hurdles. We all have bumps and bruises. We all have struggles. We all have things that separate us from God. We all have things that separate us from other people. We have things that make us uncomfortable to be in this relationship with Christ. And it's important that we understand that we all are dealing with that. Right? Romans 3.23, it's a verse that like everybody knows if you grew up in church, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the exact same place. But we should never, ever live on an island. Ever. Isolation leads to desolation. Isolation leads to desolation. When you isolate yourself and you convince yourself that I've got to do this all on my own, you're well on the road to death. Because it becomes so overwhelming to think this is all on me. And the fact of the matter is it's just not. Satan's greatest tool in derailing us from, from the path that God has called us on is making us think that we're the only one. You're the only one that struggles. You're the only one who sins. You're the only one who feels like giving up or giving in. You're the only one. When the fact of the matter is you look around and you see they're struggling and they're struggling and he's struggling and she's struggling and we're struggling and why aren't we doing this together? Because we have some false idea in our head that I have to be tough enough and I have to be strong enough and I can do this all by myself. And God's saying, show me where I said to do that. You won't find it because it's not there. And believing that you're the only one, that's a lie. I want everybody to do something real awkward. Just look around. Make eye contact with people. Make them feel uncomfortable. See that? See what you're doing here? Yeah. A couple chuckles. Look, we all feel better already. There's a little laugh for us. You're welcome. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. They're right next to you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. We're family. And it's real easy for us to look at the actual family unit that, you know, America, for the most part, puts forward, right? Like, protect your own, and circle the wagons, and you're your own little unit. And that's true. You are your own little unit. But as Christians, our unit expands. 
And God did that for us. See, because he knows that life isn't easy. He knows that you'll face struggles. He knows that you'll need help. He knows that you'll need people who have shared experiences and who have been through the same things that you've been through. God does that for you. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like Jesus paid for the Netflix subscription and then gave us all the login credentials, right? And now, like, one of us loses them and the rest of us are like, too bad, you lost it, you can't have it. Like, none of us paid for it. So nobody's going to actually be that way. I'm like, yeah, here, here's a reminder. Like, this is the email. That's the password. Jesus at God.com, you know. Password, Jesus is the one. One. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, God did that for us. He included all of us. He gave us the password. He tore the veil down. And so why hold on to something all by ourselves when we have others to help us through it? There's only strength in numbers. There's only strength in numbers. I mean, it's just how it is. And we shouldn't ever be alone. Proverbs 27:17, famous, another famous church verse. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We're here, to, we're here to, to build each other up, to make each other stronger, to make each other better, to smooth out the rough edges. And when we work in isolation, we're missing a whole part of Christianity that God intended for us to have. Remember, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, as Christians, we cannot underestimate or overvalue meeting together. Now, I, I've held this belief that I'm about to talk about in my own life, right? Because we all get disenfranchised with church sometimes, and we go and we see people that are hypocrites, and we just jerks, and we think, well, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part to be, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. But I know Jesus is good. I know God is good, and I know the things he's teaching me are good, so I can be a Christian without going to church. Like, I can worship in my own way, all by myself. And you can. That's not a false statement. But the small group setting and the corporate worship setting are like little tools in our Christian duty belt. They put us in an environment that fosters togetherness. You don't think that was by design? That God would have us meet once, twice, three times a week together to worship together, to pray together, to dive into his word together. And so these, these tools, this corporate worship, this small group, they bring us closer to God and they strengthen our chances of persevering to the end. What else strengthens our chances to persevere to the end is being real about who God is. Let's look at verses 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there, is no longer remains, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury and fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which the sanctified, he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's the thing. God is love. He is love. God is also patient. God is gracious. But God will also smite thee. He's not afraid to do it. Doesn't want to do it. Loves you enough that he has paved a way so that he doesn't have to do it. But God will judge. I think a lot of times in life we look at God and and we hear this question from non-Christians all the time. Well, if God's so good, how could he send anybody to hell? And that's when I look at them and say, let me ask you a question about your parents. Mom and dad, when they told you to do something and you ignored them, what happened? Maybe you got a warning. What if you did it again? Maybe you got another warning. Maybe you did it a third time and they took away your favorite toy, nose in the corner, mouth washed out with soap, whatever it was that you were doing. But if you continue to do it, eventually mom and dad put their foot down. Right? Like, my bum still hurts just a little bit from some of my childhood experiences. Things that I definitely deserve, like things that I needed to be punished for, and my mom's like, well, we will correct that behavior, young man. You know, and you've always heard the, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, yeah, right, until you become a parent. And you realize how much it sucks to discipline your kid. They're cute and funny sometimes, and they make you laugh. And even in the middle of when you're angry, they can say something that just, like, you lose it on. You know, man, I've got to spank them. Or I've got to put them in timeout. Or I've got to ground them from their thing for a week, and they love it, and this sucks. I hate that. You don't think God feels the same way? You don't think he looks at us and says, man, time after time after time after time after time, I gave you warnings. I tried to show you the way. I introduced you to my son, what he was about, what we are about. The fact that I want you to be in a good relationship with us again and you continue to turn your back. And you think that, that after all that, God is just like joyfully saying, depart from me for I, I don't know you. He doesn't enjoy that. The fact of the matter is, if you've known Jesus and you die apart from him, your resting place is hell. It's just what it is. It's not comfortable to say. I don't enjoy saying that. I'd love to be wrong about it. But scripture doesn't show that I am. Proverbs 29.1 tells us that he who is often reproved yet stiffens his necks will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You can only rebuke God for so long. You know? You can't know God and then ignore God continuously and then say, well, I knew you once. The one who stays with God despite the various reasons of why you may fall away will gain heaven. Our chapter ends with verses 35 through 39, which says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But, but, 
We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls, preserve their souls. Have faith in the one who paved the way to heaven. Don't give up. Don't give in. If you need help, ask. That's what we're here for. That's what everyone else is here for. We all know what struggle's like. We all know what it, you know, what it feels like to feel like we're disappointing God or to feel like we're coming up short or to feel like we're not quite meeting up. But we are in this together. God didn't give his son to die on a cross to just not care about how things end up with us. Let's pray, shall we? God, we come to you right now. We thank you so much for who you are and uh, what you've done for us in life. Lord, we, um, we can't say thank you enough for the sacrifice that your son made for the fact that you, you made a way for us to be reconciled with you. God, I pray that everyone in this church finds strength in others. Because while the world teaches us that it's only strong to handle things yourself and to internalize things and to, to, to just be independent, God, you did not call us to be that way. You called us to love each other. You called us to build one another up. You called us to be together. Because at the end of the day, Lord, you know that that makes our way easier. So I pray that as people of Crosspoint and visitors that are here today, Lord, that we all just learn to lean on one another. God, we thank you so much for your word and your message. In your son's name I pray, amen.